Blog Talk Radio. Your spirit sends my heart. 
Dear Heavenly Father, Father God, we just praise your holy name and we thank you. We praise you for the judgment that we have seen take place um, in the midst of all of the demonic ugly that we've been enduring now pretty much since 2019, give or take. And our scriptures tell us at midnight we shall rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous judgments. Father, we praise you for destroying the Pfizer plant in North Carolina. Of the likely hundreds of thousands of buildings that could have been struck by that tornado and demolished, it turned out to be one of the most important injection facilities for the most satanic organization in the world next to BlackRock. Father, we just praise you and we thank you for these righteous judgments we believe in our hearts as we look at the portfolio of events that you've revealed to us over the years, that it is highly likely that we will see a number of additional judgments that come down upon these entities who consider you to be, well, I won't repeat it, but as you know, nothing more than a pest to their agenda. And I praise you, Father, because I think all of us would, it's not that we want to see anybody who's innocent be, be hurt. It's that we want to see your righteous judgments destroy epicenters of evil and some of these principalities that have in the fallen angel shape uh, are in their original fallen angel form have shape-shifted uh, into and have for hundreds of years, but nevertheless, uh, into entities that are controlling the global satanic crime syndicate. Father, we praise you for the very few, um, I'm only aware of one, uh, prophecy that seems to indicate that there's new infighting occurring amidst the, well, for lack of a better term, the global elitists, mass murderers, baby slaughterers, pedophiles, and filthy, uh, just words can't describe, entities, which is what is really kind of complimentary, all things considered. Father, we praise you for your mercy does endure forever, and we thank you for waiting for each and every one of us to come to the point of sanctification through our prayers and our contrite spirit, knowing Knowing scriptures like th that in um, in James four seven four seventeen I believe it is where it says therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him it is a sin. Just one of many scriptures that clearly indicate that it is not by our. Um, It's not just as with Isaiah standing and seeing and into the the throne room and realizing that he was undone and needing a coal to be held to his lips. The purification of the test of of the people that have been taken to heaven that have credible testimonies. So many don't, and so many have been taken to Lucifer's mock-up. We know that for sure. And we thank you, Father, for revealing 
revealing revealing the existence of Lucifer's mock-up of a fake heaven, for it warns us of those who have been taken there consistently over many years and have millions of followers that are deceiving them. Today, Father God, it is exceedingly difficult for us to be able to discern right from wrong. It's very hard for people to understand that someone... We have a very messy situation here, but Father, no one would know that better than you. If there were, based upon the number of church buildings that exist in the United States of America, and based upon an average uh, congregation size of 500, there could be as many as 180 million professed Christians in this country, and probably less than 5% that even have any idea what's going on right now in the world. And that things have not progressed as fast as many of us thought that they ought to have is an act of mercy on your part that is beyond our comprehension. We praise you for that, Father God, because we know that we will never arrive on our own accord. For we are to seek ye first the kingdom of God and your righteousness, and all these other things will be given unto us. It is through your mercy, through your grace, to be able to embrace and understand intimately the the, the writings uh, that are... Uh, that uh, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians. Almost a writing of throwing his hands up in the air and saying, well, you know, this is how it is, and so this is how I shall behave. After he beseeched you and came to you three times to get delivered from batterings of demonic entities or people that were being controlled by demonic entities. The thorn in the flesh. And his final conclusion was, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. I take pleasure in reproaches. I take pleasure in needs. I take pleasure in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, I am strong. Helping us to understand that these scriptures and the wisdom behind these scriptures help us in our walk as we are tormented by the darkness that surrounds us, the black walls of Satan that are slowly um, encroaching on the very, our existence, our ability to feed our families, um, poisoning many of our relatives, poisoning and killing many uh, people in the churches. Never before, Father God, has it become self-evident just by looking at the empirical information around the world how literal the scripture is when it says, my people are killed for lack of knowledge. And today we see these things happening in very difficult to track numbers because of the sinister nature of the destruction of the immune system and the delayed the delay associated with the sudden deaths of many we can expect millions more to die no doubt we are living and walking in psalm 19 in psalm 91 it feels like 
And we praise you, Father God, for Isaiah 26, 9 says, For when your judgments are in the world or in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. So many people in so many different levels of their walk, or maybe they're just not even walking. They're just saying, Jesus is my Lord, I fear God, I'm obedient to the Lord, but they probably, in many cases, haven't even opened up the text. let alone try to stitch together the mysteries that are associated with the eternal context of the spiritual understanding of the Bible on a level that is that removes us from confusion, from that which would appear to be contradictory but is not. Seven times a day, Father, we will praise you because of your righteous judgment. Psalm 119, 164. Father, why is it that Isaiah, every single chapter seems to progress a little bit more? Why is it that Psalm, the books of Psalm, even though they're attributed to times long, long ago, and in some cases attributed to times before the earth was even established, could it be on account of Ecclesiastes 1.9 that there is another echo of prophetic, uh, what would be the word, of prophetic uh, synergy? It almost appears as we look at different parts of Isaiah, as Isaiah progresses, that the prophecies that are being spoken, while they could map supernaturally to different parts or different times or different seasons or different uh, uh, generations of the earth. Taking a second look at them now as today's events progress, it almost appears as if they simultaneously foreshadow in order the events that are about to unfold around us as they progress further. This dynamic appears to even be evident within the book of Psalms, like it maps to times gone by as almost as well as it maps in many ways to times before us. We thank you, Father God, for divorcing our hearts and our minds from the notion of context taking precedence over spiritual um, harmony and helping us to be able to see how it all interconnects. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. And we praise you for that. We thank you, Lord. But yes, indeed, Father, vengeance is yours. We will continue. We will continue to be sheep led to the slaughter. We will continue to turn the other cheek. We will continue to carry our cross to Golgotha. We will continue to be exactly like Jesus as best as we can, but we know that it is not an accomplishment through sanctification that we can accomplish on our own. That is by your grace, as it was with Paul during the itchy year, um, uh, during the thorn in the flesh event. It is through grace that each one of us are have the opportunity to recognize our frailty and to 
embrace that frailty and and become contrite in our walk, having no presumptuous sin, assuming that it's highly likely that we may not even be able to make it, and we know that we will because of your grace. We know that we will because of your mercy. We know that we will, but we have to pray always. We're commanded to pray always to escape all these things that are about to come upon the earth and stand before you. If the symbolism that Brother Alan, when he was on the show, uh, while the timeline stuff I don't necessarily have synergy with, um, the symbolism associated with the variances between the Gospels was absolutely astonishing. And if Luke paints out the picture from a symbolism, the deltas and the differences in the in the text of Luke paint out a picture that is relevant to the barley harvest, then how much more so important is Luke twenty one thirty six as that verse follows the very reference that Jesus made to watching to knowing that summer is upon us when the buds turn green, knowing that we are in that season. And how amazing it is for us to finally come to the realization that Luke is speaking directly, the book of Luke is speaking directly to us. How fascinating it is that there are so many more parables, so many more scriptures in Luke that would be directly relevant, ten times more so, to those of us who aspire to be part of the barley harvest and the first fruits rescue mission than any of the other texts that exist in Matthew or Mark. Mark 13, Matthew 24. It's not that there aren't, there isn't synergy, harmony, and dis, and connectivity, spiritual connectivity between all of them. But it's fascinating how Luke has so much more. Luke 21, Luke 20, I'm sorry, Luke 12, verses 47 and 48, to whom much has been given, much will be required. That is not in the other Gospels. Luke 12, verses 35, 36, and 37 that talk about the second watch, you coming back from the wedding supper to pick up the people from the second watch and the third watch. That does not exist in Mark, nor does it exist in Matthew. The parable of the um, uh, the uh, um, elderly lady, the... the, the um, I'm trying to think of the name of the parable, but it's escaping me at the moment, Father, where she prays, where where Jesus commands us to pray always. Um, And um, here, I'll just pull it up. Praise Jesus. Because I can jump around really fast now. Thank you, Lord. Luke 18. The parable of the persistent widow. How significant that is to us. It's just amazing how much more is in Luke that would be relevant to the barley harvest, those who aspire to be part of the barley harvest. The very revelation of multiple raptures exists only in Luke. The admonishment to those of us who, when we draw a harmonious 
connection spiritually between the admonishment of Luke 12, 47 and 48, where it says, to whom much has been given, much will be required. And I'll finish that since I happen to be in that chapter right now. Praise God, where it says, and hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Let me go ahead and go directly to the verse because it's a big chapter. Hold on. All right. Where it says, and a servant who knows his master, what his, oh, I'm on the wrong, hold on just a second. I was moving around between various translations earlier. Praise God. And now I have to find 47. Hold on just a second. Praise you, Jesus. I don't pre-prepare anything. And And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. That's that, in fact, is a metaphor for um, losing rewards that you could have gotten or worse, which aligns, interestingly, uh, and then it goes on when I read the second verse, and I'm going to connect the dots. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. So there you have... This aligns perfectly with Revelation chapter 3 in the admonishment of the Church of Laodicea. I would want for you to be either hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth into the Great Tribulation. It has nothing to do with being cast into hell. Unfortunately, there are those out there that believe that, but that's okay. I'd rather them believe that than believe it's not, it's not important at all. And then to have the admonishment that says, and I'm looking for it. Yep, yep, here it is. But here's the cold. Here's the cold part from the Laodicean admonishment. But he who did not know yet committed things but yet committed things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few. Now, here's the admonishment to those of us who would aspire to be part of the barley harvest. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. Praise you, Jesus. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask all the more. Now we can go back and compare that to Matthew 25 because there's perfect spiritual harmony behind the message. In Matthew 25, you have the parable of the wise and foolish virgins, but Jesus never so much as stopped for a second after that parable. He didn't stop, kick back, go into the mountains, pray, drink from a a brook, nothing. He just went right from the parable of the wise and foolish virgins, which is so gushing, the re, you know. Again, the, this, the I think the most obvious takeaway is the the you know if you're a Christian and you have fellow Christians coming to you and asking you for help, what are you going to do? That's why you know that that the concept of the foolish virgins asking for more oil is simply a metaphor. But what does that oil mean? If it 
is referential to the oil or the Holy Spirit, which most people believe, not everyone, but most people believe, then it makes complete sense because the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22, are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control, against which there is no law. So right there's harmony and synergy, perfect spiritual connectivity. But then Jesus rolls directly into the parable of the talents and rewards. Now please remember, remember what was just said in Luke. And in fact, I'm going to repeat it because you praise Jesus. We have to, we have to, and thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Because I, to me, praising you and praying to you and talking to you and going through the scriptures to me is just, communion with the Godhead. But we jump back to Luke twelve forty seven real quick. Let's just take another peek at it before we go back to the parable of the talents and rewards. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. All right. And then at the end, it says, for everyone to whom much is given for him, much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask all the more. See, I can see errors in my walk as I read over this for the, what, 5,000th time. And I can still see even more errors and mistakes that I made in my walk, which resulted in very difficult times for myself because I deviated this. I knew, for example, I knew about the prophecy that was prophesied about me in 1972, yet I deviated from that. So when it says, for everyone to whom much is given, I was given that prophecy at the age of 10, from him much will be required. Of him they will ask all the more. And to whom much has been committed. See, I, I, and so when I deviated from that, At that point, our Heavenly Father opened up the floodgates of beatings to me that I had to go through. But they brought me to a whole other place in my walk. Completely different place in my walk. But go back just for a second. That servant who knew his master's will that didn't do, you know, or prepare himself according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. Remember that, okay? Um, And then remember, for everyone to whom much has been given, much will be required. Okay, we'll just stop right there. Now let's jump back over to the talents and rewards, which is directly associated with being one of the wise virgins. Here we go. Matthew, let's not delay. You've got to connect it quick or your mind will drop. You'll drop bits and bites. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling from a, to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another he gave two. Now, talents, I find talents to be a very interesting word when we apply it in 21st century in English to our understanding of things, even though that this is a reference to an item of value, some type of money. And, um, but in reality, it's fascinating that the word talent, when, it's, when you compare it into the English dictionary, what an interesting coincidence that it is our very human talents that God has endowed upon us refer to 1 Corinthians 3, chapter 13, where it talks about the body of Christ. And I can go on and on and on. 
the talents that we were given by God are those which we ought to be using to serve him, amongst other things. But this is referring, in this case, to an item of value or something like money. So I'm not... So anyway, it goes on, and to another he gave two, and to another he gave one, and to each according to his own ability. See, there's your connection. There's your connection to 1 Corinthians chapter um, uh, um, Sorry, I think I dorked up earlier. 1 Corinthians uh, thir- chapter 13. That's where the... Uh, reference to the body of Christ is. Isn't it fascinating that he says, right here he says he gave the talents to each according to their ability, which is interesting because that does in fact map over to the English understanding of the word talent. It's just unreal. And then it goes, and immediately he went on a journey. Well, wouldn't that be synonymous with the ascension of Jesus to heaven to sit by the right hand of our Father. And then verse 16, it says, Then he who had received the five talents went and traded them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two, remember, they were given according to their ability to him whom much has been committed. All the more will be required. Remember Luke. And it says, immediately he went on a journey. Yeah, right, there you go. So Jesus isn't standing right beside us. He's with us spiritually as part of the Godhead in us. But he's sitting by the right hand of God the Father. So again, he comes back and he, uh, another one he gave, you know, uh, five talents. He says, says, another he gave five talents. And it says, and likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug it in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Now, you might say, well, this is little L Lord. So this is just a parable talking about just about anybody. And I disagree. Every parable to me reads just like a newspaper about Jesus. And it goes, or our Heavenly Father, or a combination of Jesus and our Heavenly Father, and what they're planning on doing, what we already know they're going to do. And it reveals very explicit um, descriptions of the results of various groups' work in the end times, which is directly relevant to us today. Praise God. And so it comes in and it says, um, and it says, and one went and dug it and put it in the ground and hid the Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Now reflect back to Revelation chapter 22, verse 1, I think it is. I hope I'm right. All memory. Where it says, where Jesus says, Behold, I come quickly, and my rewards are with me to give to each according to their work. Well, this one individual hid his talent, and then it says, After a long time, the Lord and those... Note, it's a long time, and the Lord of the servants came and settled the accounts. Well, what are we experiencing right now? A long time. Don't even get me going on the actual number of years. 
Verse 20, so it says, so he had received five talents. He who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done. So there's your well done, good and faithful servant dynamic. Good and faithful servant. There it is. You were faithful with a few things, and I will make you ruler over many. Ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ. As part of a fellow medicoy, a fellow sufferer. And guess what? The suffering that Paul was going through by his demonic beatings obviously are part of the suffering that's required of us to be medicoy or fellow sufferers of Jesus, thus entry-level qualifying us to rule and reign with him. All right. So, right here, these are references to ruling and reigning with Jesus over all of eternity. Then the next, uh, and then he says, enter into the joy of the Lord. Verse 22, and he says, he also who had received, he who also had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. Remember, the talents were handed out according to their ability what they were capable of doing, all right, which is highly reflective of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, um, I don't know, starting with like verse 12, 13, 14. I'll go to there in a second, and you'll see the synergy. You'll see the harmony. And it, and, um, and it says, enter into the joy of the Lord. And then he says, he who had received two talents, according to his ability, the Lord, um, the, you know, he, Lord, you, you know, um, you delivered me two talents. And look, I have gained two more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things, and I will make you ruler over many things. Now, I want to point something out to you. Most people will never see this. Most preachers will never see it, nor will they understand it, because they can't receive it. It's very important to take note that the individual who received five talents and got five back, Jesus' response to the individual was identical. Jesus didn't say, hey, you made me a bunch of more money than everybody else. Therefore, you're going to be ruler over so much more than all the rest. It's not what Jesus said. The person with the two talents, he said, he said, um, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things, and I will make a ruler over many things. It was the exact same reward. Which, by the way, aligns also, hallelujah, to the parable of um, uh, the um, vine dressers, I believe it is, or something like that. Um, the workers in the vineyard, that's it. Where people were coming in, everybody was getting a denarius, even though a whole bunch of people were late arrivers. They came in like when the, when the workday was almost completed, and Jesus gave them all the same reward. And the ones that were working all day were indignant about it, which, by the way, echoes the parable of the um, – um, I'm trying to think of all the names of these. It's hard to – you know, they keep coming and rising up to my spirit to, bu to bubble up out of my mouth, but I, I have to stop and pause and re try to think of the official name that 
But it also echoes the dynamic that occurred uh, in the parable of... um, I'm trying to think of the name of it. The parable of uh, the uh, prodigal son. And the parable of the prodigal son, the exact same dynamic occurred as what occurred in the parable of the workers in the vineyard. When the son who had you know got you know spoiled and gotten written gone out and partied away all of his stuff came back to the father the father ran out gushing flipping out so happy he couldn't stand it and gave him a signet ring and the other son was like going like what is going on here i've been doing this all these years and <clears throat> i haven't stumbled i haven't fallen i haven't gone out and done anything naughty and and look at what the lord look at our father did he gave him a signet ring do you do, you do understand the symbolism behind the signet ring don't you that's about as married to Jesus as you can get. They're all saying exactly the same thing. Now, what happens if you're kind of naughty? Okay, says, Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you would be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not gathered. See, this, this is reflective of Jesus. See, most people, don't get me wrong, I have watched uh, some movies about Jesus that moved me very deeply, especially in the scenes where he was showing incredible love. And I, I can't think of the name of the one at the moment, but anyway, but people will encourage me, I don't want to say frantically, but fervently is a good word, to watch this particular Jesus movie or this particular Jesus YouTube. And I'm always very hesitant about that because this they all project inclusion. They all project, I mean, there was even a uh, LGBT LMNMP flag being flown on the set of The Chosen. And then the actual actors publicly defended the concept of inclusion. The problem with movies about Jesus is they don't include the black or the uh, you know the negative terminal of the battery. They don't all they ever do is they portray him. They don't they don't show him with a cat of nine tails throwing the tables over. They don't show him uh you know not being happy with people. They don't show him throwing people in hell that thought they were going into heaven at the beam of judgment seat. And that's the problem. The the problem is Christianity has taken on a deception on a global level that is so pervasive and it's pervasive, it's impactful, and the magnitude cannot be you can't measure it it is on truly unbelievable stupefying so jesus says he says 
he, um, he says, I know that you are a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. And look, here you have that which is yours. And Jesus responds and says, but his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. You, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming I at my coming I'm sorry at my coming excuse me at my coming hello hallelujah I would have received back my own with interest to whom much has been given much will be required he who puts his hands to the plow and looks back is unfit for the kingdom of God he who loves son or daughter more than me is I'm not worthy of me. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. Ah, see, he he was upset. He spanked him. But what he did was he said, take the talent and give it to him who has ten talents. Now listen, here's the key to wisdom. Jesus did not take him out. Jesus did not cast him into hell. He took away his rewards that he would have gotten, and he gave them to one of the other members of the bride. Now, where is this reflective also? It's, in, it's reflective directly in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll start with verse 14. We'll even go back a little bit more. Let's go chapter 3, verse 11. For no other foundation can anyone lay, go back and think to Luke 12, 47, 48. Go back and think about the wise and foolish virgins. Why would the, the foolish have to be sent away? Because you cannot develop without uh, going through an awful lot in your life and seeking God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul and falling in love with Jesus and falling in love with the Father and being infinitely, continuously inspecting yourselves. First Corinthians chapter, uh, uh, chapter 11, I'm sorry, First Corinthians, um, I'm trying to think of the, the chapter. It's uh, 11, I have it. I have it over here. First Corinthians um not three. Yeah, it is 11. I, I think it is. 28 and 29. Yes, I believe so. 1 Corinthians 11, 28, and then 31 and 32, where Paul appears to be... Paul, what, what it appears is that Paul's admonishing people, and this is what the church would teach. They would teach you that... Okay, so I'm deviating. I'm going to blow the synergy. So let me go back to, to I'll, I'll go back to that in a second. All right, 1 Corinthians 3, let's go back to, to verse 11 and continue the synergy without breaking it. For no other foundation can anyone lay. Now remember, he gave the talents according to people's ability. And there was an expectation that they did something with it. That expectation was directly linked to whether or not a person was a wise or foolish virgin. That was direct. The synergy, it's really just one big parable. It really is. It's not, but it is. 
directly connected. So when you, because it's all over the Bible, which is what I'm showing you right now. I'll show you another parallelism. Parallelism. Okay, verse 11 in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we have, For no other foundation can anyone lay, think of these as talents, please, for no, no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So in other words, you're either going to behave like Jesus, you're going to understand Jesus, you're going to love him, the good and the scary stuff too, let every man seek his own salvation with fear and trembling. First Peter 4, 7 and 8. Um, if a righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the sinner and the ungodly be? People like to skip over those verses. Now this is talking about somebody who's basically, it's not talking about somebody who's fighting an addiction. Okay, if you're fighting an addiction, you're fighting. You're fighting the good fight. Keep fighting the good fight. Keep praising. God will bring you through it. And if you need to, seek medical attention. There is nothing wrong with that. People who say things against seeking medical attention do not understand that Luke was a medical doctor and that there are many times that we are, by our Father, expected to take care of our temple bodies no matter what. Do we not take medicines? Do we not eat proper food? Is that not taking care of the temple body? Okay, now I'm not talking about going out and seeking really strange, freaky-deaky, like, hey, I need to get a COVID or any of that kind of stuff, we have to understand that we're living in extremely dark times. But if you have uh, developed diabetes over your life, you're going to have to take care of the temple body. You can't just let yourself die. You're not allowed to do that, which means you have to take your medications. If I willfully stopped taking my blood pressure medications right now and died of a stroke, God would hold me accountable. That's a fact. To whom much was given, much will be required, including taking your meds, if that's what you have to do to survive and continue to serve God. Verse 12 goes on to say in chapter 3 of verse, uh, 1 Corinthians, Now, if anyone builds on his, this foundation, the foundation of Jesus Christ, okay, it already led into that. It says, which is Jesus Christ, for no other foundation... Can anyone lay, is laid already, which is Jesus Christ, our Messiah. All right, verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, let's translate. Now, if anyone builds their life on the teachings, behaviors, and that which is all about Jesus, which, by the way, is inclusive of all of the Gospels and Revelation, if we build on that biblical foundation, since Jesus is the Word, and the Word was God, and Jesus is God, John 10.30, for I and the Father are one. So if anyone builds on the foundation of Jesus and everything Jesus is, everything, as best as you can, fight, keep fighting. And don't let self-righteous people who are ignorant about the Bible, it does not matter if they have miracles pouring out of their hands. That's why the Scripture says they will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, have we not done this miracle and that miracle and prophesied and all these other wonderful things in your name? And Jesus is going to go, hey, man, I don't know you. I don't know you. 
intimacy with Jesus. It's understanding who he is and why he behaves and acts the same way. And so that's why I don't like watching t- uh, TV shows and movies about Jesus. It's not that I don't appreciate it sometimes, and I don't. It's the problem is they don't tell the whole story. They mislead people. You know, uh, there's so much evidence. Jesus said he came to bring a sword. Why would he use a metaphorical sword to describe what he's ultimately going to be? Because he knew that all the Christians would break apart and form multiple denominations. We have 33,000 of them now. How many more do we need? we got to definitely double it because all the different major denominations are going to split, and half of them will go LGBT drag queen, and the rest of them will try to hold together what little they have left that is godly. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation of Jesus' behaviors, that's what this means, with gold, silver, precious stones, uh uh-oh, now we have a paradigm shift, wood, hay, or straw. So you're trying to be like Jesus. You're doing the best that you can. But maybe you're not reading your Bible, or maybe you're not receiving it. Maybe you're sitting in the pews and listening to somebody else tell you what to believe. Maybe you don't really have an intimate relationship with your Lord. Maybe you just want him as your Savior. Gold, silver, and precious stones are good things. Those are behaviors that would be plucked from the portfolio of the Holy Spirit behaviors of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, against which there is no law, Galatians 5.22. The fruits of the Spirit, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. People don't develop those overnight. That's why the foolish virgins were sent away. They weren't qualified to be the first fruits. Gold, silver, precious stones, whoops, or wood, hay, and straw. Big difference. It goes on each one's work. Behold, I come quickly, and my rewards are with me to give to each according to their work. Oh, look, I get to roll and reign with Jesus because I did something with my talents. Each one's work will become clear, for the day that this occurs will declare it. And by the way, I would strongly recommend that that word day is not talking about a 24-hour day. You have to always remember that the Bible was not written just for planet Earth. The Bible describes gazillions of years before the earth even existed it describes it's all in metaphor it's woven throughout mystery texts and people just make assumptions and they because they concatenate the understanding of god into a teeny weeny little thimble when in reality it needs to be exploded across multiple universes and trillions of life forms we're not going to rule and reign on a gold street in heaven over a squirrel running up and down a tree We're going to rule and reign with Jesus over the universes. That's why only the most humble and contrite, loving, kind, beaten. You know, we need to be beaten. We need to be beaten down. 
real good. We need to go through real hard stuff because if we don't, we won't empathize with the people or the civilizations that we'll be ruling over when we're ruling and reigning with Jesus. God does not want another Lucifer event to occur. So again, it goes on and it says, it'll be revealed by fire. The day will declare it. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it was. Oops, everybody's getting their talents out now. If anyone's talents, which he has built on, endure, I'm sorry, it says work. No, I'm not sorry. If it endures, he will receive a reward. And by the way, back uh, at the end where it says the fire will test, this is so important because it also aligns to the parable of every parable I've mentioned, with the exception of Luke 18, the persistent widow, um, almost every parable. I mean, the parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the... um, uh, uh, um, Workers in the vineyard, the parable of the talents and rewards, they all have, they all synergize perfectly with what I'm reading to you right now in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Perfectly. If, if anyone, okay, so it goes back. I want to rewind a little bit. And the fire will test each one's work, the talents, of what sort they are. Now then, the word sort, look it up in the Greek. Quality. Not quantity, which is why Jesus gave out the talents and according to a people's ability. Because it's quality. And that's why they received the same commendation. One only got a few talents, another got a few more. It was given to them according to their ability. Uh, But when they came with whatever it was they had to Jesus, Jesus was like, you're going to rule and reign over a whole bunch of stuff. He didn't differentiate. He didn't change the reward because of some greater, you know, he didn't give more denariuses to to the people that came uh, early uh, the day for, you know, for the the workers in the vineyard. You got to put all this together. This is exceedingly important for all of us right now because we're running out of time. And your best friend, every one of our best friends, is understanding these things. It's really, really important because it's it's all the stuff that you will never get in church. You will never get it. Never. Um, and it says right here, so, so check it out. It says, so of what, so let's, it says, the fire will test each one's work of what quality it is. How much did you love Jesus? Did you have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control in the way that you handled that individual, that other person? Or do you need to repent? Do you need to confess that you you weren't full of love, joy, peace, long-suffering? You weren't very patient. Look at the behaviors in Galatians 5.19. Take note that at the end of Galatians 5.19, first before I jump over there, look, it says if anyone's work is burned, that means it would be wood, hair, straw, you know, 
Uh, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer a loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. Wow, that aligns to the end of the parable of the talents and rewards, where the one who didn't get anything wasn't, you know, drawn and quartered. He just had to take what he thought he had and give it to one of the other ones. So right here, it aligns perfectly with, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. But their rewards will be much less. Now, you, you might say, well, hey, well, let's, let's go look at another chapter that is terribly misunderstood. I mean, don't even get me wrong. 99% of the, uh, what it was, 300,000 churches that are in the United States of America have no idea what the parable of, of the wise and foolish virgins is about. They have no idea. They actually believe, can you believe this? They actually believe, the vast majority of them actually believe that the foolish virgins are going to hell. That is so sad. Which is what a lot of people believe that being vomited out of the mouth of Jesus is. No, it's being cast into the Great Tribulation because it says so, right in the report cards of the seven churches. It says in Revelation 2.22, it says that if they don't straighten up their act, I will cast you into Great Tribulation. That same paradigm, that same punishment exists for everyone that is not going to be rescued and taken away from planet Earth where the serpent resides, which is captured in uh, the, the, about the Church of Rev, uh, Philadelphia in Revelation 3.10. Because you have kept my commandment to persevere. It doesn't say you have kept my commandment to be perfect. It doesn't say you've kept my commandment to be sin-free. But wait. I want to be sin-free. Okay, so let's all work together on, therefore, to him who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is a sin. James 4.17. How many people in a wheelchair have you walked past in public supermarket or Albertsons or, or whatever that you didn't stop and lay hands on and pray for? Which, by the way, you're pretty much commanded to do in Mark 16, 16, 17, and 18. For, the, for, these, for these signs will follow those who believe. And then you go back and you look at um, James 4.17, and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Therefore, to him who um, uh, knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is a sin. Try to chalk up how many of those events happened this week that you missed or didn't have the courage to go through with because there was too many people looking. Trust me, I'm right there with you, folks. I'm just trying to help establish the fact that these folks out there that say things that they say is because they don't understand the Bible. Now, I'm going to pull this together with another piece that, again, aligns with every single thing that I have just said, because it all has synergy. This is spiritual discernment of the Scripture, and it is un you can't disconnect it. It's unbelievable. All right, so let's jump over to Galatians 5.19, which has a list, really great list of sins that people, um, you know, Okay, so let's. I, I so I, I'm not you know I'm not going to pick on anybody. I'm not going to mention any names. But I, but it, you know, tongue in cheek, I will say that you know this is tongue in cheek. It's meant to be ha 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 funny funny funny. But if I had a dollar for every person who told me that this was about going to hell, <laughs> I'd still be doing the radio show. Quite honestly, I would. I'd still be doing the radio show. But I wouldn't be worried 
about retirement. But at this point, retirement doesn't really mean anything with CBDCs and digital IDs and, you know, them getting ready to destroy the world and establish the fourth, you know, uh, you know, what did they call that? Something revolution. I mean, who cares? These these things are so satanic. I'm looking very much forward, I must admit. Now, I'm not allowed to fee I'm not it's not my job to do anything except what Jesus did or yours. But I praise God when that tornado destroyed the Pfizer plant. Because I will rise at midnight to give thanks to my Father because of his righteous judgments. Now you jump over to look at knowing all that you've just hopefully learned from what I've shown you thus far. Galatians 5.19 says, Now the works of the flesh... By the way, this comes right after Galatians 5.22 where it talks to you about, um, uh, you know... uh, Walking in the Spirit. Now, I'll even bounce back. You know, I'm going to start with 19 because it's, it's, that's pretty much right where it goes right into it. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident, which, by the way, again, we're not supposed to be friends with the earth. We are supposed to keep, again, as it says in the book of James, if you are friends with the earth, you are at enmity and hatred with God. So please watch your steps. Look at your heart, examine your heart, examine your heart, examine your heart, examine your heart, because that tracks back to 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 28, 31, and 32, which I'll connect, I'll connect that one next. But let's connect with 5, Galatians 5, 19. I, um, it says, now the works of the flesh are evident, which we're supposed to work very hard to avoid, although we're trapped in the flesh. which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred. Now, those are pretty, I think, people that are crucified in Christ and is, and is no longer they who live, but Christ who lives in them, when they have come that far in their sanctification. But let me tell you something. If you were to go to the churchianity, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry. How many of the people do you think that are sitting in the church right now, and I'm just saying, just I'm speaking intentionally in generalizations, how many of them are watching porn? That's adultery, and that is fornication. Because adultery occurs in the heart. It doesn't occur when you take your clothes off. Uncleanness, holy moly. I mean, lewdness. I mean, all you got to do is watch porn, and you've covered all these perfectly. And how many? I'm, look, Paula White. I'm sorry. I don't. I should, Father, forgive me for picking, mentioning a name. Father, forgive me for mentioning a name, please, in Jesus' name, because I know she can repent, and I pray in the name of Jesus that she does. Her and her husband, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Twenty. Verse 20 set goes on to mention idolatry, sorcery, hatred. Now, here's where it starts to get fascinating. Contentions. What is a contention? Okay, let's be fair for a second here. Most people just don't know these definitions very well. They don't use a dictionary when they read their Bible, and they're they're fortunate if they even bother to read their Bible at all, let alone properly understand the English words that are borderline mistranslated. Okay, but let's take the term contention, the definition of contention. 
Let's take a look at what it says. It says, there's two. It says, heated disagreement or an assertion, especially one maintained in an argument. So when you are arguing over something on Facebook or wherever with a Christian or on some internet forum publicly, you are in danger of hellfire. But that's not what Galatians 5.19 is talking about. Now, why did I say you're in danger of hellfire if you're doing it publicly? Because Jesus will hold you accountable for all the thousands of people that saw you doing that, assumed it was okay to do so, and they also did it. I can mention names of very revered authors, very well-known preachers and teachers. They're extremely well-known that fight, fist fight, do all kinds of things, say all kinds of awful things behind the scenes. But I won't mention their names. It goes beyond contentions, I can tell you. Jealousies is another word. I think I think most of us, with Christ ruling and reigning in our hearts, have let go of the jealousy thing. So that's cool. We ought to have anyway. But here's another one. This is an eyebrow raiser. Outbursts of wrath. Whoa. Here's one that will really make you wonder. Selfish ambitions. Are you going to give $1,000 to your fellow brother or sister in Christ who needs to buy groceries or is going through hard times? Or are you going to get the new car that you need so bad? Which do you choose? Oh, well, gee, I almost forgot about James 4.17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is a sin. Hmm, sounds like the jury's out on that one. Selfish ambitions. Oh, but it gets better. Dissensions. What is a dissension? Dissension, when you define it with the dictionary, P-I-S-S-E-N-S-I-O-N-S, praise God, is a disagreement that leads to discord. I've had, I've had discussions with people that disagree. Were, what happened was they were disagreeing with something that I was saying, but they had put their, their telephone on mic mute. So they never said, oh, 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 well, I don't know if I completely agree with you, brother. I had no idea. And so all of a sudden, they take their mic mute off, and they're yelling at me. You know, I never saw it coming. But I still pray for a spirit of forgiveness to come down. I mean, because, you know, I didn't like that. You've got heresies, but you have to watch out for the word heresy, because every time the word heresy, context, this, in this particular case, the word heresy context is extremely important. Because if you were to map the word heresy to the behavior of Pope Innocent um, III 
and how he slaughtered the Bogomils and uh, Tyndale and all those when they were setting up their uh, little villages and such, being to live like the Amish, essentially. They were treated as heretics. Were they heretics? Of course not. So you have to use your scripture to define, to define the context of when the word heresy was used, and it was always in reference to people who were suggesting things like Jesus had not died on the cross and risen again in three days and things like that. So the term heresy always in the scripture refers to any time this, the gospel of Jesus is twisted in a way that it, that it sends a wrongful message to the recipient about Jesus. It has nothing to do with wondering about who we, uh, where we came from, why are we here, you know, are we, you know, it's none of that. Because that's, that's trumped, no pun intended, that's trumped by uh, Proverbs 25, verse 2, where it says, it is the glory of God to conceal at the matter, and the glory of kings to search out a matter. It goes on to say about envy, murders, drunkenness, revelry, revel, revelries, and the like. Now, you've got to be careful with the word drunkenness, because there's still a lot of people out there that's, that think that Jesus was a big old sinner uh, when he made wine for his mom and for the people that were at that get-together. Because let's think, think about it. If Jesus enabled them to sin by making water into wine, then Jesus is a sinner, period. For anyone to suggest that there was that wine did not ferment back in that time, I'm sorry, but that's that is that is reprehensibly ignorant. Because there are endless scriptures of guidance in the book of Timothy, first and second Timothy, um, Titus, etc. If you read through there, there's guidance in there and it tells you that as you're assigning people positions in the earth uh of leadership, I'm sorry, positions in the various gatherings ecclesias, churches, if you will, um, when you're picking out deacons and stuff, it says someone who is not taken to much wine. So this isn't about blowing a breathalyzer. This is about getting crap-faced drunk, dropping against the walls and doing awful, sinful, horrible things. It's not about sitting down with a couple of glasses of wine. Which, by the way, we know Jesus did, because otherwise the Pharisees wouldn't have pointed over to him and accused him of, of how dare he be a wine-biber. Look, he's a wine-biber! Why would they accuse him of being a wine-biber if he didn't have a glass of wine in his hand? But he wasn't sorting with the sinners. He wasn't hanging out with them and, and doing sinful things. He was talking about the kingdom of heaven. He was talking to them. To the, we love the sinners. We hate the sin. But here's one of the most interesting, if not arguably the most important and most misunderstood uh, clauses, which is a portion of a sentence, um, in the Galatians 5.19 blurb, which is greatly misunderstood by churchianity and many others. 
Um, and it says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, here's some things you need to understand in your glossary of terms that people get wrong all the time. The kingdom of God are all the universes, all the dimensions, the trillions of life forms, the glorified universe. The only place, as best as I can tell, is this hologram that we're trapped in. The Bible refers to it as temporary or temporal. And it says that that which we cannot see is, you know, permanent. It's real. It's eternal. That aligns with quantum physics and particle physics, proving essentially what is Einstein said, which was, we live in a hologram, albeit a very convincing one. We're in a containment zone. We're contained here. We cannot leave, and neither can the fallen angels that have spaceships that fly intergalactic, you know, have in, you know, intergalaxy transportation capabilities by bowing, sorry, bowing the heavens the same way our Heavenly Father did uh, in, I think it's uh, the scripture somewhere in Kings. Mm. I, 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 I got to memorize that one. It's really important. But bowing the heavens really is warp. It's, what, it's, it's like Star Trek. It's, it's, it's warp speed. Warp speed. You're warping the, the hologram. You're warping the hologram, the particles that make up the hologram, and you're, you're taking a shortcut from one point to the other. It's like if imagine if you had a carpet and you wanted and the carpet was 10 feet long. But you wanted to sit at the west side of your family room and you didn't want to get up. You have your 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 sewing threads and everything and you're going to mend this carpet. And the carpet is representative of the universe. Or let's just say the hologram that we're trapped in right now. All right. But you don't want you you want to be able to move very quickly from where you're sitting at the at the western end of the carpet with your needle and thread. You're sitting Indian style. You got all your sewing accoutrements right there, but you need to get to the other end of the 10 foot carpet. What's the easiest way to do it? Lift it up and just grab it and pull it toward you. And what are you going to end up with? You're going to have bows. You're going to bow the heavens. You're going to bow the heavens. You're going to bow the heavens. You're going to warp the carpet, and you're going to be able to reach over and sew the problem with the carpet that was on the 10-foot other side without getting out of the position that you were originally in. That is what it's, that's what they do, these entities, these fallen angelic entities do in this particular hologram to be able to move at fantastic rates of speed uh, across a galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, that is, uh, you know, what is it, 100,000 light years and across? And that's only one galaxy. But we're still in a hologram. That's why the fallen seraphim can shapeshift. They can shapeshift because they have the ability to manipulate the hologram. But they need the power of God to do it, which is why they do the horrible things that they do to the children. Then they hate God. They hate God's image. They hate everything about us. They hate everything about it. It, it, it. This is a hatred that we cannot relate to, folks. I'm telling you. 
Human, this is why no one believes the things that are happening out there. Little by little, more and more people, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people, are slowly starting to wake up. They all have a, an event horizon where they ha- their, their brains will cut off. They will not believe things. You saw the woman on the airplane and how she freaked out. That is not real. Get me off this plane. She saw, saw a reptilian on the plane. She saw it shape-shift, at least partially. I saw it. I got a hold of a video, and I saw it myself. That's because they have the ability to manipulate the hologram that we're all in. But what's interesting about Galatians 5.19, praise Jesus, is it says, and this is the most important part of this, it says, those who practice such things, now you've you got to understand, who is this scripture talking to? Is it talking, is it talking to, the, to, this, to the saints? I'm going to tell you something. It is. Now, if you're a baby Christian and you're just beginning to learn things and you're still doing, watching porn and checking the adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness, lewdness box, okay, it, you know, there's a pattern of growth that, that happens through the sanctification process as you learn things. Hopefully you're reading your Bible and you're getting better and you, and you fall in love with the Lord and you, and you make this, this whole cycle of events because you're hungry for it. You want to be all that you can be. But you're going to be awful happy if you make it at all. But you want to be all you can be because you recognize. You recognize that you have advantages now that you will not have later, which is why I'm sharing this now. Praise God because we're running out of time. But the time doesn't matter. The time doesn't matter because the parable of the um, uh, uh, the workers in the vineyard proves it. The parable of, of, of the um, um, uh, you know, prodigal son proves it. Don't you see? The fact that Jesus didn't cast the guy with the one talent into the pit, that speaks volumes. That's a good thing. but, But listen... What happens to people? What happens to the Christians? Look, we know these texts are, are meant for us. They're meant for the people who are going through the sanctification process. Because quite frankly, if you if you're, why would you even be reading this otherwise? Notice that at the very end it says that those who practice such things. Now I'm going to put an all stop right there because there's a lot of self righteous, presumptuous Christians out there that will say, "Oh, look what you're doing! You're doomed! You're going to the pit." Let me clarify: those who practice. Let's stop for a second, shall we, and look at the definition of practice. Thank you, Jesus. Sorry for coughing, but... Okay, the actual application or use of an idea, okay, the use of it, to put it into action, belief or method, as opposed to theories. It says the customary, habitual, and expected procedure or way of doing something. The verb, uh, the verbial form, okay, if there is such a word as verbial, um, uh which is how this is used in the scripture, those who practice such things. That's a verb. Okay, it says, to perform an activity or exercise a skill repeatedly or regularly in order to improve or maintain one's proficiency. 
You'll never hear that from a pulpit. In fact, nobody will teach on this at all. They don't want to scare away the folks that are going to contribute to the new parking lot. Did you hear what that says? So you've got to pay attention to the words. Those who practice such things, what will happen to them if they do them on a regular basis? It's not talking about a slip-up. It's not talking about a bad weekend. It's not talking about, you know, the day that your son died in a car accident and you grabbed a bottle of Jim Beam and said the heck with the whole wide world. There's even, you know, there's even a scripture in Proverbs that says, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to get into a whole teaching on that. It'll derail me. The point I'm trying to make here is it's referring to doing things like this over and over and over again. What will happen to you? It says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. You need to first understand that the kingdom of God is referring to the entire universes. It's all of creation. The kingdom of heaven is where God hangs out on Mount Zion in the city up on the hill behind the pearly gates. And the most of the saints, if not 99.999% of them, will be residing in the country mansions down in the suburbs. And some of them that have been disobedient will be way out and living in relatively small apartments. Think that, you, that rewards, works, works, behaviors, rewards, sanctification, desire to love Jesus, desire to be obedient, and all these things don't matter? Are you kidding me? Is a death, is a death row inmate that, you know, supposedly gave their lives to Jesus at the last second that they got an injection? Are they going to live on the same street as Paul? Please. No, of course not. It's not how heaven is laid out. Praise God. But this isn't even talking about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. Hebrews 12:22, the kingdom of heaven. We will go to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, an innumerable company of angels, just men made perfect, the, the, the heavenly Jerusalem. How can you miss that? How many do? It's amazing. Everybody says Satan, all the followers of Satan, they say, as above, so below. Satan has no original ideas, absolutely zero. He doesn't have a single one of them. Yes, he was one of the architects of the universe. Yes, the, the, the Masons and all the creepy entities of from the bowels of Sheol, the twice dead, you know, strange flesh, creepy creatures, uh, creepy crawlies. Yeah, you know, they capitalize on that. They capitalize on the fact that Lucifer was there during the architecture of the universe. He was. But he was the greatest created being at the time, and he had not, sin had not been found in him yet, which, by the way, proves God doesn't micromanage. All right, so anyway, will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's not, so what does that mean? That's talking about ruling and reigning. These are your assignments. Are we all going to just hold Jesus' hand, millions, what, billions of saints, and we're all just going to hold Jesus' hand and fly through the universe? Is that what you think? No. It's not what's going to happen. 
We are going to give, we are going to inherit parts of the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Universes. Uh, the kingdom of God is galaxies. The kingdom of God is uh, 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 glorified civilizations and eternal realms. And possibly even areas that, I mean, really, when you think about it, when, Jesus, when, when our Heavenly Father said, can you guide the sons of Arcturus? I mean, come on. That proves right there that they're sons of God on Arcturus, or at least in the star system that we refer to as Arcturus. So somewhere in that star system are beings that God occasionally guides, <laughs> okay, that he considers his sons, sons of God. But nobody considers these things, and they don't map it back to the Bible. The reference here, those who practice these behaviors, you know, you know, like it says in the, in the in the dictionary, it says to perform an activity or exercise a skill repeatedly or regularly to the point of <laughs> to the point of making it proficient. Can you imagine? habitually or regularly, I'm just reading different parts, to carry out or perform a particular activity, method, or custom, habitually or regularly. That's what it's talking about. And what happens to them? They don't inherit the kingdom of God, which means that when they're not going to rule and reign with Jesus. When, when Jesus takes his first fruits, uh, and, you know, um, uh, and he says, and it may even include the, the wheat harvest, I, I suspect it does. I really do. They're going to have to go through a lot more hell on earth, a lot more hell on earth, and millions of saints are going to die before they even get to the point of the wheat harvest. That, the wheat harvest occurs during the day of the Lord, and that ain't a good time. But they won't inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't say anything about the kingdom of heaven. It says they won't inherit the kingdom of God, which means it's talking about our inheritance and our rewards. Inheritance and rewards. Inheritance and rewards. Inheritance and rewards. What is inheritance? That's when Jesus says to you, oh, wait a minute. Let's get the proper terminology, shall we? Let's go back to Matthew 25 and look at the talents and rewards. And he says to you, he says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things and I will make you ruler. Roller over many things. Remember, we will be kings and priests. See, nowadays you use the term priest, and it almost has a pretty negative, if not satanic, connotation. But not during the time of the Levitical priesthood, it didn't. They were revered. Roller over many things. Wait a minute. That's exactly what Galatians 5.19 says. It says that he who practices repetitively these things, with you know, without repenting or trying or striving to get better, you, know, you just say, oh, the heck with it. I'm just going to argue with whoever I think I should be able to argue with on Facebook until I'm blue in the face. 
It says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. What that means is they will not rule and reign with Jesus. Because in order to rule and reign with Jesus, you have got to inherit part of the kingdom of God, which is the universes, so that you can, oops, go back to Matthew, back to the talents and rewards, so that you can rule over it. I wonder how many people will make a YouTube uh, degrading me. And (laughs) hey, great. (laughs) Like Paul said, um, says, therefore, I tell you whatever you, I'm sorry, I got the wrong one. Uh, Yeah, here it is. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. I take pleasure in reproaches. I take pleasure, reproaches, there you go. That's a nice term for a mean YouTuber. Uh, (laughs) I take pleasure in needs. I take pleasure in distresses for Christ's sake. Now, why would that be Christ's sake? Huh? Why would Paul getting his body beaten to a fruit-juicy pulp walking down a dirt road have anything to do for Christ's sake? Simple. Anything that we go through, any striving, any look, if you're wrestling with a sin and you're talking to God about it and you're repenting, you're now I'm not talking about repenting is the point where you have finally come to divorce yourself of the behavior. That's the theory. Okay. It doesn't mean that you can't occasionally slip up and yes, you might have to go back to God and say, Oops, you know, kinda like, whoops, I did it again. You know, there's a little bit of that. It it, it it's you're you're never gonna reach a state of perfection on the earth. And if you think so, you have a presumptuous sin. You do not have a contrite spirit, you are not practicing Matthew five, and you are not part of the Beatitudes. You have missed the boat. You are pompous, and you are going to have to face how Jesus feels about you for being like that. Do you think he's going to want you to rule and reign over an entire civilization or group of civilizations in the universe with that kind of an attitude? I don't think so. Anything we do to fight our way in sanctification, to grow in Christ, to fall more in love with God, to to desire to be more like Jesus in every possible way, everything results in more inheritance and in more rewards, which builds the kingdom hierarchy of those who will be who will be ruling and reigning with Jesus over all of the universes. And I do mean plural. When you start connecting these dots and you understand, it explains so much that that it, I don't know about you. You know, some people, you give them a bowl of tomato soup and they're happy for years. I mean, that's just how they are. And that's okay. That's not necessarily a bad thing. You don't get any, well, I don't know. I, I'm not going to say that. I have, not, I'm not going to, but here's the thing. Even the person who holds the door at the church to God is just as important as the preacher. And whenever we take any kind of a beating, any trials and tribulations that we go through here on this earth, it is just as Paul said in the Thorn in the Flesh teaching, where he said that he takes pleasure in all of this trials and tribulations, distresses, reproaches, and needs for Christ's sake, 
for Messiah's sake. Why would it be for Messiah's sake? If you're living for Jesus, if you're fixated on him, if you're fixated on our Father, if you love him with all of your heart, your mind, and your soul, if you wake up in the morning and you can't wait to reside in the secret place in the Most High, if you're hungry to learn the Scripture and to understand what ruling and reigning with Jesus means, if you want to understand the mysteries of the Bible because you can't stand it, and you just, it, 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 it gives you so, I mean, it just sets your, your hair stands up on your arms and you're just gushing with, overflowing with the Holy Spirit to discover what all this actually means. And then, guess what? You get Malachi 3.16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke often to one another. And the Lord listened and heard them. Shh! He's listening. So a book of remembrance was written before the Lord. I can imagine our Heavenly Father sitting there with a really awesome angel and just, you know, with a, like, you know, parchment paper and a quill pen, just writing down all the stuff we're talking about right now. So a book of remembrance was written before him, our Father, for those who fear the Lord. Oops, if you don't fear the Lord, you're disqualified. Oopsie daisy, not for you. You don't benefit by any of the protections of Psalm 91 unless you are dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. Oops. And you definitely don't proclaim it because you can't proclaim that which is associated with a particular state of mind, state of heart, state of spirit. Don't get me going on 2 Corinthians 7.1. Now, knowing these things, brethren, let us cleanse ourselves of all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Filthy spirit. Imagine that perfecting holiness as best as possible in the fear of God. And those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and they listened to it, and, and the Lord listened and heard them, and so a book of remembrance was written before him. And for those who, but only for those who fear the Lord and those who meditate upon his name. Hmm. Wow. Kind of like what we're doing right now, huh? It goes on and it says, They shall be mine says the Lord of hosts. On that day, I will make them my jewels, and I will spare them, as a man spares his own son who serves him. As a man spares his own son. Wow. Pretty awesome. It just, everything just intertwines I know I mentioned another scripture. I'm trying to think of which one it was that I was going to point to that also winds and intertwines and harmonizes with all the stuff that we're talking about right now. But I think, I think I believe in my heart, I believe, I feel in my heart that the point that I was trying to help folks absorb was made because it is very, very easy to be discouraged, to think that you don't have a shot because you've listened to somebody preach righteousness. You've listened to somebody preach in a manner that made you feel like you just couldn't measure up. 
If I had a dollar for every Christian I met that felt that way. See, folks, here's the thing. This is a message of hope. This is a message of hope and excitement because it sheds a light scripturally on the reality of our walk. There are very, very many self-righteous, presumptuous Christians out there that I've even had one who referred to himself as a pastor who told me, well, if somebody falls back into sin after they were saved, then they were never saved to begin with. (laughs) I thought to myself, I tried my best to uh, pull him out of his stupor of resounding ignorance. Not sure if I was successful, but God will deal with folks. I just don't want people to be dealt with. You know, I, I think I think the scripture reveals to all of us, if we truly understand it, that we're all eligible. Oh, I know which one I wanted to pull together for you. So a lot of preachers won't preach first John. And the translation of first John is uh very not so good because Greek doesn't translate directly. Greek and Hebrew do not translate into English. They just don't. They transliterate. There's a lot of guessing. Certain, uh, certain. Uh, that's why I use so many different translations of the Bible because what I do is I compare the different translations. Not every single one. I mean, if they if the Bible is like that new, you know, like the American Standard and the Basic Bible in English and the Complete Jewish Bible and the Contemporary English Bible and the Darby and the and the Dewey Rames and the and all these other ones, they basically say the same thing. What I like is when you get like the New Living Translation alongside of the uh, Amplified Enhanced and alongside of the New King James. The King James is too rife with errors, and there are those out there, and I. I'm that's okay. I'm not even. There's a church that's within uh, probably six or seven minutes of my house that I used to go to a long time ago before I couldn't anymore. Um, and it said right on the sign as you were approaching the church as you drove up, it said King James Bible only. Where else? <laughs> I should have. I should have done a U-turn on the road <laughs> right away. But anyway. The I wanted to share First John three seven. You got to watch out for First John three seven because is no one no one wants to preach from it because they don't understand it and it's and it appears to be loaded with contradictions, but it's not. Um, it, but this is awesome. I'm just going to share this one little piece of it. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as Jesus Christ is righteous. Now, you know what? Then it goes and says, he who sins is of the devil. That is not correct. That is not correct. That is a poor translation. What it should say is, little children, let no one deceive you. He who who repetitively sins, and, you know, uh, I'm sorry, who repetitively 
tries as hard as they can to be righteous in accordance with the Word of God and to be like Jesus, that's practicing. Practice makes perfect. That's why doctors have practices, because it is not a perfect science. That's why legal people have practices, because it is not a perfect science. It has to do with case history and case law. And as above, so below is our Father's term, because that's why heaven is is essentially a glorified, by like a thousand times, uh, version of earth in many ways. The, the judicial system that's established on the earth with judges and how minimum sentencing guidelines and all that kind of stuff works is very much like the, the courts of heaven are, are laid out. Why do you think that when you're sitting in a cubicle at work that the HR people are not going to come up and stand beside your cubicle and say, you idiot, you moron, how could you do that? You are in so much trouble. Well, they're not going to do that in front of everybody because there's probably 200 people in cubicles around on that floor that are going to hear you being admonished. It's going to humiliate you, which is why the scripture tells us that when we are admonishing a brother who has slipped into sin, we do it out of love. And we do it quietly. We take them into the back room, but we don't tolerate it over and over again. It's three strikes, you're out, and you remove them from the church at that point. The person with pink, purple, polka-dotted LGBT hair does not get to stay in the sanctuary. But you gently and lovingly and quietly, without embarrassing them, take them into the back room and say, I'm sorry, brother and sister, but, or, you know, brother and sister, but you really, I'm sorry. In Christ, this isn't allowed. Here's the scripture. I'll help you understand that. And, but you don't humiliate them. And if they come back the next uh, Sunday or whatever day uh, and they do the same thing, well, that's the second strike. You take them back and say, well, we had that conversation last Sunday. And um, I'm sorry, but you still got the pink, purple, polka dotted hair and the big old LGBT flag on your thing. And, um, you know, we're trying to help you understand that if you want to be part of the king, you know, part of the, uh, you know, the, the ecclesia and the brothers and sisters of heaven, the brethren, you've got to, you know, you can't do these things. You can't, you can't be in the sanctuary doing that stuff. And if they come back the third day, the third Sunday or the third whatever day, at that point, according to the scripture, you take them back into the office and you quietly say, I am sorry. But we're going to have to ask you to leave. That's how it works. It's done lovingly, gently. But nobody reads that stuff. They don't understand it when they do. So it's amazing where the literal translation in the New King James says, he who practices righteousness. Well, if you're practicing righteousness, are you righteous by virtue of what you are doing? No. You're trying your best because we seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, when it goes on and says, he who sins is of the devil, what that should say, if it was translated properly, would be something along the lines of, he who sins is sinning a sin because of the influences of the demonic world and the devil. That's what that really should say. Okay. But, hey. Whatever. 
So anyway, praise God. I pray that this encourages you, lifts you up, and helps you understand. Because I have heard, I heard from my own sister. My own sister said to me, Oh, I don't think I could be part of the bride of Jesus. I just, I've made too many mistakes. And I'm like, but admittedly, she is entering into her 80s, and she doesn't read much nowadays. You can read to her. <laughs> you can say, hey, have you ever considered the parable of the workers in the vineyard? So it, when you don't get a bad teacher, where you, when you don't get a bad preacher, when you don't get handed a bad DVD of Jesus, and you do your own reading, and you understand these parables are talking about our Father, our Lord Jesus. They're, they're literal. It's like reading a newspaper about them. When you embrace that and you understand that, the Bible takes on a completely new meaning. It's no longer discouraging. It's encouraging, because even the dork who didn't you know, do anything with his one talent, he didn't get cast into hell over that. But you know how many people actually believe that when it says that you will not inherit the kingdom of God at the end of Galatians 5.19, that it means you're going to be cast into hell? No, it just means you're not going to rule and reign. I will also warn you this. I have learned through people, 12 years I've been doing this, and a lot, I would say probably maybe 8% of the people that were guests on the program, maybe 10%, were people that were taken to heaven, or their fathers were taken to heaven, or they and their fathers were taken to heaven, or whatever the case was. And I can tell you something that's very interesting, and you should know it. If I know it, then you should know it, because nothing belongs to a member of the body of Christ. I can't believe that the Times Square Church actually copyrights David Wilkerson's work. That is an affront to God. And I'm shocked that they don't realize it. None of us, no one who's a member of the body of Christ, owns anything that God has given them. There is neither man nor woman, Jew or Gentile. We are all one in Christ. One. So if I'm given something, it's for you too. And one of the things that I was told very clearly, not in a mean way, just FYI kind of stuff, I was told that there are the further away you get from Mount Zion, the further out into the country mansion areas, you got to go pretty far out because the the closer you get to Mount Zion, the bigger the mansions are. And most of the really big mansions belong to the missionaries. Um, but anyway, but the further out you go, you start to get into the to smaller Thomas Kincaid-like things, which, like I always jokingly say, we're told not to covet things on the earth, you know. But then at the same time, we're told it's a, this is this is truly a contradiction. But it's a contradiction with an understanding behind it. We're told to keep our mind stayed on things above and not on things of the earth. So we're supposed to be heaven-minded. We are citizens of heaven, Ephesians 3.20, praise God, or is it Philippians 3.20? Our citizenship is in heaven. All right, so, so we're, 
that's where our mind is supposed to be. Those who are at, at, who are in love with the earth are at enmity with God. We need to be heaven focused, eternity focused, God's word focused, walking in the spirit focused, love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, and goodness and self control, and all that other stuff. That's where our, that's where our hearts are to be. We're to be in alignment with Jesus. It is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. That's where we're supposed to be swirling around in our hearts and our minds and our spirits. That's where we're supposed to be residing, but unfortunately, we still got to pick grapes because we got to get our denarius. Now, but the reason I bring all this up is because I find this very, it makes me, it makes me smile really, really big because to me, it's like tongue in cheek kind of funny. Scripturally speaking, we're told not to covet anything of the earth. Right? We're told not to, to want big mansions. We're told to, to we're, we're not supposed to. We're supposed to live essentially minimalistically. We're supposed to give like crazy into the kingdom. It's not 10%, folks. There was one uh, pastor, I was a preacher in a church, who died. And he did not realize that he was supposed to tithe at minimum of 10% of the tithes that he received from his congregation. He didn't know that. He, he thought that since he was a church and he was a pastor, that all the tithes that he collected in the collection plate were for, for him and his church. So he did not tithe out from that. When he died and went to heaven, the angel of the Lord took him back to where he was going to be living as of that moment in time. And it was a very small apartment. When he returned back to earth by the mercy of God, let me tell you something, that guy sold everything he had. He stopped, he didn't want to be a pastor anymore, sort of like Francis Chan. Francis Chan left the pastorhood, had a humongous church out in, you know, just north of La Jolla. And, um, and uh, he realized as he was reading the Bible, that this, we got Jesus all wrong, man. I got to get out of the. I got to get out of this church. And he left. He sold everything he got. He got himself a little forty thousand dollar teeny weeny little house, and he started going around telling everybody uh, what he what God revealed to him. The pastor that didn't tithe out of the money that he received in the collection plate, a minimum minimum of ten percent. Where he was going to live for all of eternity was a tiny apartment. When the angel of the Lord showed it to him, he went back, sold everything, gave up being a pastor of the church, sold everything, and then just went around, you know, of course, telling people his testimony and serving the Lord that way, which was much more beneficial uh, to the kingdom than what he was doing. So our tithing, tithing is seeding money. It's it's doing, look, it's it's this. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is a sin. It is giving the second and the third and the fourth cloak off your back to the person who just robbed you. It is knowing that someone is in need and helping them, even though you know that you have needs too. 
I'm not allowed to give you examples of what I do. I would love to do that because it would help you. But unfortunately, God said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. But I'm telling you, folks. And here's the thing. Here's the funniest darn thing about it. The stuff that I do, I don't do it. Like, I don't like sit there and go, oh, man, you know, James 4, 17, look what it says. If I don't do this, I'm going to lose rewards in heaven. I got to do it, man. It never even crosses my mind, not even for a nanosecond. Not even for a nanosecond. I do it because I don't have a choice. I have to. I have to. I'd love to give you lots of examples, but I can't. But I can show you something really cool that relates to this in the Scripture. 1 Corinthians 13, I believe. I'm looking for the key word. Ah, there it is. See, now this is amazing. It's one of the most amazing things. It's most, arguably probably one of the most, I mean, if, you're, if we're talking about this subject, inheritance and rewards. Inheritance is inheriting part of the kingdom of God, the rule and reign with Jesus, and to rule over it, just like it says in the parable, and the talents and rewards. It's so obvious. Rewards are things like, do you get a city mansion in the city of the, uh, in, in Mount Zion and a country mansion? Do you get a covenant companion, which is a eternal companion that Jesus makes just for you? According to Odin Hedrick, evidently, that is one of the rewards that you can receive. Not everybody gets a covenant companion. Custom made just for you. And, and Odin said, when he was asked by the interviewer about, well, what is it like to be with a covenant companion kind of thing? You know, choosing his words carefully. And Odin said, it makes what happens between a man and a woman on earth look like a bad nightmare. And then the Lord quickened unto my spirit what it was like to be with a covenant companion. You have to go back to that movie called Cocoon. When Steve Gutenberg and the alien woman named Kitty were inside the pool, and Stephen was asking her about it, and she said, oh, we call it sharing. And she said, would you like to see what it's like? And he said, yes. And all of a sudden, this burst of light. Remember, we're beings of light and love. Light and love. This burst of light shot out of her body and just it just ricocheted all over the, the pool area. Gaining in power. And then it hit Steven Gutenberg right on the chest. Bam! And he lit up bright and he flew backwards and he was like, ah! And then remember the testimony of Sherry Welsh? when she walked inside of Jesus 
and how she tried to use earthly terms to explain the level of ecstasy lines up pretty close, doesn't it? You know, I, I said to her in a conversation, I just kind of feel jilted or a little bit left out because I can see how a woman can see Jesus as, as their bridegroom. You know, and I was kind of referring to her intimate moment with Jesus when he invited her to walk inside of him. And she she picked up immediately on what I was referring to because as a, as a man, as a guy, it would seem misfit-ish. But you've got to remember the statement in Galatians. There is neither man nor woman. You also have to understand that when a man and woman on the earth in Christ are married in Christ, they become one. So it is the two of them that become one entity. Of course, that never actually really happens, but that's ideally what it's supposed to be. So when you consider, so that's a reward. Receiving a covenant companion is a reward. Receiving a city mansion and a country mansion is a reward. Inheritance is your assignment of where you're going to rule as a king or a priest with Jesus over the kingdom of God, which is all of creation. Hallelujah. Now that's some pretty cool stuff. (laughs) And all of this should be, I mean, when you think about it, and I have asked Sister Nancy to please stay focused on, you know, we've historically tribulation now has brought on this very, very wide and diverse collection of guests. And we've also mourned, you know, the listeners that, as the world gets darker, um, it's getting much, much harder to get people to want to come on the show. I think they're afraid for them. They're afraid of, uh, you know, going to jail. I suppose I should, really, when you think about it, because I break every single censorship rule there ever was. I rat out all these reptilian entities. But, you know, I honestly trust God. I shouldn't even be able to technically work the job that I am working right now and seed into the kingdom and do the things that I do and all because that's all I care about. It's all I care about. And I think my greatest weakness, and I'm working with that with the Lord, I know it is, is a fact, is I am too empathetic. And so when I see all the horrors, you know, that you... You think about all these normies that are just beginning to wake up and they don't understand stuff and they go into sound of freedom or whatever and they come out all teary eyed and, oh, I never knew that stuff was happening. And then I had my uh, one of my relatives, are you going to the sound of freedom? And I'm like, you know, no way. No way. I knew about all that stuff and much, much worse in 2009. And darn near had, well, I think I did have a miniature, uh, what do they call that, neurological meltdown or whatever, nervous breakdown. But anyway, it was devastating. 
But anyway, um, in the midst of all of the darkness that we're enduring and and the things that I'm having to unfortunately relive, things that caused me to fall onto my knees at one o'clock in the morning, heaving tears. I'm not talking about crying, folks. Many of us have never gone through a period of our lives where we truly were traumatized in such a massive way that we heaved. Heaving crying is when you are unable to stand and your entire upper body is heaving as you cry. Many cannot relate to that. It's never happened to them. It did me as the Lord was teaching me about all these things. If I had a dollar for every time I said to the Lord, please destroy this planet. And of course, I had to go back and tell him I was sorry. <sighs> Praise God. In the midst of all that we are seeing happening around us, no regard. You know, if you were to look at CBDCs, Fed now, which they're already starting to roll out in some stores. Um, the graphene oxide, which is going to act as a uh, satanic mind control antenna. That's killing so many. It's all the things that are happening. Um, when you look at all of that, it feels like these giant black satanic walls are closing in on us. You know, you, did you ever ask yourself, why does the Bible say the kingdom of God is at hand? If you do this and this and that, the kingdom of God is at hand. Because the earth is technically really not part of the kingdom of God. It's a containment zone for unbridled evil. It's a prison of the most unbelievable abominations that anyone could ever imagine. And we are commanded to overcome. It's like being thrown into the stinkiest, most rotten cesspool you could ever imagine and standing there with your arms raised up in the air, focused on Jesus and praising his name. And then having to wake up the next day and do it all over again. And when you're like me, an extremely, what they, what they call a highly sensitive person, I scored really high on the, I took the little scoring test and kind of, uh, it, I wasn't at the tippity top, but I was high, very high up, close to 20. <clears throat> and for me to have to relive these things, like Sound of Freedom, which doesn't even begin to, it doesn't even begin to touch the depravity and the abominable events that occur. Doesn't even graze it. Now, don't get me wrong. Jim goes on various media outlets and expands on some of the stuff that he's discovered since, you know, as he's been doing the work. But he still doesn't realize. And that's just fine. And I am not telling you. But I am reliving all of these things as I see people waking up. And... It's traumatizing. It's really traumatizing. 
And the last thing in the universe I would want to do is go to watch Sound of Freedom. I know too much. Praise God. And I will always do everything I can to try to share as much as I can to encourage you. Because, look, check it out. Do you ever wonder, you know, you might say, well, what do you mean earth is not part of the kingdom of God? Well, guess what? I will demonstrate it to you right now with scripture. I'll just do it from memory. I don't even have to quote the scripture. I'll just share share with you essentially what Jesus said to Pontius Pilate. He said, if my kingdom was from here, my servants would fight. But my kingdom is not from here. Remember those words when civil war breaks out in the United States and you see millions of Christians killing each other with guns? And remember John 16:2. There will come a day when they kick you out of the churches or synagogues if you'd rather. They will even kill you and think that they have done God a service. But they do this because they do not know the Father nor me. So in the midst of the black walls and the cesspool and all the icky stuff that we have to be exposed to right now, and it's real hard for those of us who've known about a lot of it for a long, long time, because we're reliving it, and we know like 10 times worse stuff than what they're talking about, and it all gets brought back to our traumatized recollection. I will tell you, that when if you were in my situation, it will cripple you. It will cripple you. You will get to a point where there are times in the week where I will go for hours and hours and hours, and I can't do much but cry and cry and cry and cry and cry and cry and cry. It's devastating. And if I don't disconnect somehow whether it be through putting on praise music or even watching a movie or something or whatever, but just disconnect, you know, maybe some old rerun of Cheers or Frasier or whatever, but I've got to disconnect. And then what's really weird is if I do disconnect too much, then I get like this anxiety because I'm kind of thinking to myself, wait a minute, while I was watching this episode of Frasier, uh, you know, Chicago could have been nuked and we could be in the middle of World War III and then I have to quick log back in and double check everything and, you know, see naked people riding bikes and rainbows painted on them and just deformed children and body parts cut off and all this other stuff, which I, I can't stand it. But I was given this job, and I am very imperfect. 
The Lord told me I am impetuous. He knows me very well. It took him almost a year to give me that word. It was in the shower. I was thinking, well, this shower gel really smells good. I got to get more of this. And all of a sudden I hear, impetuous. And I'm going, Lord. I even made myself a little laminated card with the word impetuous on it. I'm kind of looking for it right now. Yeah, there it is. Cool. Praise God. I'll read it to you because I'm I'm not bashful. I actually enjoy being self-deprecating. <laughs> you know what? It makes me feel like I'm being totally honest. And I think when I'm being totally... But you don't get that in church, by the way. You will never, ever walk into a church and have the pastor tell you, Men, when I get out of the church and I go home, my wife and I fight like cats and dogs. We're like, you know, blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. They're, they're never going to tell you that. But it happens. <laughs> okay? Now, the difference between them and me is I'm going to tell you. So when the Lord called me impetuous, it, said, it says, I'm trying really hard to focus my eyes. I'm, hold on. I'm going to get a magnifying glass. I told you I'm getting old. I'm 61 now, and um, just got back from the surgeon's office from the MRI. Turns out I don't just have one meniscus tear. Turns out I have two. Isn't that lovely? All right, so let me read. This is what God told me I was, impetuous. Acting or done quickly and without thought or care. Impulsive, rash, hasty, reckless. Uh, heedless, foolhardy, uh, uh, incautious, imprudent, inju- uh, injudicious, ill-conceived, ill-considered, unplanned, unreasoned, unthinking. <laughs> All I can say is, uh, hold on. Here's, I, I was going to hit the one, but no, we need the other one. Peter got nothing on me. <laughs> Let me tell you what. Praise God. Whew. I wonder if that means I'm going to... I really, truly expect... I, I don't know if this is going to be the case. I really don't know. I would like to believe, like all of us would like to believe, that we're going. That God is going to make it so that we're able to stay in our dwelling places. We're residing in a secure place of the Most High. Um, we're very valuable to our Father because... The things that are go- that are being released right now, like the 5G, the graphene oxide antennas, the uh, electronic tattoo that is going to be placed on the uh, right hand, the top of the right hand, they have to make it visible because the- otherwise people can't rat them out. All that stuff. But anyway, we I'm, I'm not saying that God can't replace any one of us because He cert- certainly can, of course. Amen. Praise God. But collectively as part of the body of Christ, knowing and have gone, each one of us have gone to a different portfolio of problems, trials, tribulations, miseries. I mean, if we go back enough years, I mean, 
you got to go back to your childhood, really. You got to be inclusive of your entire walk, your entire life. I mean, I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit at the age of nine, and I backslid for like forever because I was once saved, always saved. Because after all, that was what all the great Pentecostal and wonderful uh, Assembly of God churches taught. Really, you're saved. All good. Here's your Willy Wonka golden ticket. See you in heaven. So why shouldn't I do whatever I felt like doing? It was God who showed me otherwise. It was God who told me I needed to take all the Bible teaching that I had received for the last 50 years and toss it. It was God who said to me, I will show you what I want you to know. I don't. I did. I went through years and years and years and probably more than a thousand dollars worth of teachings, documentaries, uh, box sets from all of the best teachers and preachers out there that ever, you'd know all of their names. They were very advanced. It was after that, God said, flush the toilet, get rid of it all. I'll show you. He didn't show me all at once either. And he let me get my butt kicked many, many times. Because it was part of the requirement. Until you get beaten to a fruit juicy pulp multiple times and review and reflect upon how that all happened and why it happened. Look, look, who makes the best teen challenge preacher or counselor? Who makes the best teen challenge counselor? You're dealing with people who just came off the streets. They're probably still on methadone because of a heroin addiction. They want they, they gave their life to the Lord. They they're doing their best. The last thing you want to do is is march them into a church and have Leonard Ravenhill preach at them. They'll walk out of the church and kill themselves. That's why it says in Jude, um, I think it's verse 23, it says, And some save with compassion, knowing the difference. It's all in the Bible. Am I the only one that spotted all those things? I don't know. Sometimes I feel like it. But my point is this. Someone who is used to be a drug addict, that kicked it, that loves the Lord, is the best Jesus counselor for somebody who's going through it. Our trials and tribulations are badges of honor because they qualify us. Oh, but but brother, you went through that because you sinned. That's what you call self-righteousness. Presumptuous sin, which is an affront to God. There's nothing wrong with examining yourself. We're supposed to be examining ourselves at all, all times. And I'll tie, tie a ribbon on some of this right now with 1 Corinthians 11:28. This is another thing that you will never see happen in a church. But you'll, you'll see it happen here all the time. This is where you do not use context. This is where spiritual discernment is well, it's, 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 it's so important that you will miss the entire teaching if you focus on the context. So, and I've, I know I've mentioned this before, 
Okay, I get that. I mentioned it before, but I'm going to mention it again because it merits mentioning over and over again. Because you never know who's going to listen to this program and not listen to any other one. But this is taught wrong always in the church. It's never taught like this. I teach it completely different because that's how it ought to be taught. Um, I promise you. I say that before God. I have no doubt in my heart, mind, soul, spirit, flesh. <laughs> I know when I'm, I know. I know that I know that I know that I know. As much as I know that Jesus is Lord, I know that this is how this is to be translated. So it comes out in, in Paul's admonishing the Church of Corinth because they had all kinds of things, and he felt bad about admonishing them. And in the second letter, he basically kind of ate crow a little bit, and he said, "Yeah, I was pretty hard on you, you know." But anyway. Um, in verse 27 in chapter 11, Paul says, Therefore, whoever eats of this bread, by the way, this segues very nicely into uh, taking communion. Therefore, whoever eats of this bread and drinks of this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body, uh, um, guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Uh, okay, so anyway. Now. The normal Bible college trained individual would the first thing they teach you when you do go to those places which are owned by satanic powers, uh, Clinton Foundation, Ford Foundation, Rockefeller Foundation, Tra- Tavistock Institute, the Illuminati. I mean, I'm not going to get uh, folks. If I man, I could boy, I could drop, I could drop a bomb. Mm. But if I drop the bomb, I would have to mention names, and I can't. So I'm just going to let it drop. But the things that the Lord has shown me about what goes on behind the scenes is unbelievable. And I'm talking about major Bible universities, ones that are renowned. It, the context is only important in so few, probably 10% of the time the context is really important, but the rest of the time it's really not that important at all. As a matter of fact, you've got to get rid of the context to really understand spiritually what God is trying to tell us through the Word. And this is one of those places. You ever wonder why you walk into a church and there's people in wheelchairs and... They're sick, and sister so-and-so has this disease, and sister and brother so-and-so has that. And, 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 and by the way, there's an exception to every rule. Please be advised. So when I'm explaining this to you, if you think that I'm making this absolute and that this is, this is exactly is the only way this happens, absolutely not. I can tell you as a fact. If God has chosen you to come to heaven, and he can't get through to you by whacking you upside of the head with a heavenly frying pan, he'll let, you, he'll let Satan give you cancer, which is exactly why the Apostle Paul said he turned such a one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that the person could ultimately be saved. Because Paul couldn't get through to him. So he said, I turn you over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. He committed the person, the people, to Satan so that Satan would give them cancer or whatever deadly, horrible disease, okay? And, and, and uh, because Paul knew that was the only way, until they were laying on their deathbed, okay, in pain and agony, they wouldn't truly repent to God and say, I'm sorry, maybe I was wrong, please forgive me, Father. And God will do that to you. 
if you don't respond to his chastening. If he's determined to take you home, but is that the only reason someone gets sick? No, absolutely not. I have a personal theory about this. I am not saying that this is scriptural. In fact, I can tell you as a fact, it is not scriptural. It's a theory. But I have a hunch. I'm probably right. The scripture is very clear that no one enters the gates of heaven without going through tribulation, difficulties. So what about that really nice lady who's lived a pretty good Christian life. She was ill-taught by all the pastors. She did give and she did, you know, all this kind of stuff, but she never really suffered. She never really went through any tribulation. She never really, but then we hear that Sister Bonnie and we're talking to each other and we're like, oh, well, we got to go lay hands on her. And we all go over and lay hands on Sister Bonnie and we pray that, um, uh, you know, that her, uh, um, you know, uh, you know, pancreatic cancer will go away. And we lay hands on her and we're, you know, we're, we're believing. I mean, we got six or seven elders and we're gathered around her. We're laying our hands on her in the name of Jesus. I command this pancreas to be healed in the name of Jesus. But Sister Bonnie still dies a painful death of pancreatic cancer. Now, why might that be allowed to happen? I'll tell you why it might. Because maybe she did not suffer enough. Maybe there was something inside of her or something she needed to talk to the Lord about. And the only way God could... And, but the Bible says you've got to go through tribulation to make it into heaven. You've got to suffer. It's part of the deal. Okay, and, and then what about these Christians that they just never suffered? They were wives of good men and they just lucked out. We'll just use that term. I know it's not an appropriate term, really. I don't like the term luck, but it really kind of does fit because not, you know, God does not micromanage us. We do have free will. Okay. And, and so the point I'm trying to make is if we have to suffer to make it into the kingdom of heaven, if we have to go through trials and tribulations and things like that in order to make it into the kingdom of heaven, which, by the way, is exactly what our Bible says. And this particular person never suffered. Is that the reason why God chose not to heal her pancreatic cancer? Did God know that she would not lose faith even though she got that sickness? Our Father knows the thoughts that he thinks about us, not thoughts of evil, but thoughts of good to bring us to an expected end. Maybe Sister Bonnie's expected end was to make it to glory. And she just lived a doggone wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. That's my theory. So, and then, of course, that aligns with Isaiah 57, one, one of my favorites. You know, uh, of course, when I'm looking for it, I can't find it. It's long. Oh, here it is. The righteous perish, but no one takes it to heart. The merciful men are taken away, while no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints, Psalms 116.15. So God's happy. 
God is happy that Sister Bonnie is getting coming home and that he was able to bring her to that expected end in accordance with the word. But even more so than that, now that, that would be the exception to the rule if my theory is correct. But, and it would also explain partially why my mom never received her healing and died of complications of type 1 diabetes while she was taking me to every divine healing uh, revival in the state of Pennsylvania for the better part of three years straight, which was really an awesome experience for me, but very disappointing and for my mom. Sometimes God wants you to row the boat away from the rocks. My mom got given that opportunity. She could have taken better care of her body. My father invested in her to go to a a special place that would get her diabetes under control. She was literally cured from it. She had no blood sugar issues whatsoever. She had lost over 300 pounds. She came back home. Nobody hardly even recognized her. And I remember the day that she sat beside me as a teenager and she looked over and said, Johnny, I cannot live like this. If I have to live the rest of my life never having another bag of M&Ms or a piece of chocolate, I don't want to live. But God still let her go to heaven. Even though 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says that if anyone defiles the temple of God, which is our body, our Father will destroy them. But there's so many things that our Father considers. It's not just one thing, unless it's a sin of death. If it's the sin of unforgiveness or blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, those are definitely two sins of death. I have multiple testimonies of Christians that were taken to hell and heaven, and the one thing that blew them away was how many Christians were in hell because they failed to forgive somebody because they didn't even know any better. But anyway, back to 1 Corinthians 11.27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the uh, body and the blood of the Lord. Okay, now, um, but but this is where it starts getting important. This is where we have to divorce ourselves from the context to understand why there are so many sick people in the church, why there are so many sick people, in, why, are there, why there's so many people in wheelchairs. You know, uh, and again, keep in mind, there's, there are definitely always exceptions to the rule. Who knows? I don't know. And there's probably more exceptions that I've even thought, of, even thought about. I don't even, can't even imagine. I imagine that sometimes our Father will let a saint become sick because that person is going to behave in a certain way uh, that they otherwise may not have that will help somebody else make it into heaven just by virtue of the example that they're setting. I have testimonies on that too. Um, But anyway, listen to this. So let's take it out of context. Let's forget about that Paul was talking to people about dipping into the the wine before, you know, and getting drunk. That's what he's talking about. They they were just, they were getting slap happy drunk, okay, before they were uh, going to, uh, you know, have communion. And Paul spanked them. But let's listen, let's take, let's look at every little thing he says and think about it for a second. Verse 28 says, but let a man examine himself. Now, by the way, so just remember that. That's a clause. That has its own meaning. But let a man examine himself. And then there's a comma there. So that clause has ended. That thought is closed. 
Okay? And then the second clause of that sentence is added. It says, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And then it explains also, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment unto himself, not deserting the Lord's body. Well, when you get chastened, is that a form of judgment? Uh-huh. Here's the amazing thing. Verse 30, because this stands completely on its own, has nothing to do with Paul spanking them for drinking too much wine uh, during um, you know, communion. Nothing to do with it at all. It has to be divorced from context to understand what it's saying. It says in verse 30, For this reason, because they failed to examine themselves. So you have to understand sentence structure. You have to be practically uh, you know, a journalist, an editor, a person who understands uh, what a passive sentence is and how to structure a sentence properly. When you have those skills and you apply them to the Word of God, amazing things start to happen. Because what this is really saying is as follows. But let a man or a woman examine themselves. Because for this reason, when you fail to examine yourselves, many of you in the church are weak, many of you in the church are sick, and many of you are asleep. You died sooner than you should have. You never fulfilled all of the works that were written into your book in Psalm 139, verse 16, and Ephesians 2.10. You didn't do it. You did your, maybe you did your best, whatever the case is, but they were definitely, you didn't do all the stuff you were, but that God hoped that you would do. For this reason, many are weak. Why? For what reason? Because they didn't examine themselves. How do we know? Because it says in verse 31, for if we would judge ourselves, examine ourselves, judge ourselves, examine ourselves, judge ourselves, if we would do it, we would not be judged by God. But when we are judged by God, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. So when God takes you around behind the shed, when he lets your entire life fall apart, when you have had your, uh, when uh, somebody that you thought was supposed to be your wife and given to you by God turns into a devil and tries to rip your face off with uh, four huge police cars and an EMT vehicle out front. Okay, let me tell you something. I got photographs to prove it. I'm telling you, people, this is the kind of stuff that God wants us. I know this sounds crazy, but it falls back into the same paradigm as who makes the best counselor for the people at Teen Challenge. Because if you were raised up as a little kid to become a preacher, and you learn from your mom and your dad, who is also a pastor, who's following the, the belief systems of their grandpa, who is also a pastor, what you end up with is a big, fat, ignorant mess. It's those of us who have had 
gone through hell on earth and we examine and we continue to examine ourselves we continue to talk to the lord we continue to recognize that we are unworthy we continue to become more and more humbled by the fact that god would even consider us we, we, it, it, it changes everything it strips us of all that pride that we develop, thinking that we are walking in a holy way that is guaranteed to be pleasing God. Oops! Presumptuous sin. It's a precarious, difficult walk, and there is, and, and there is no implication in the Bible whatsoever that the walk of sanctification from the point of salvation, whether or not you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit or not, is one that is absolutely sin-free. That is our goal. But I will tell you, folks, if you haven't tripped and fallen and gotten yourself in a jam and goofed up and screwed up and dorked up and all that other stuff, guess what? You're not going to have the humility. You're not going to have the contrite spirit. Contrite means that you don't. It, the scripture says God saves such as have a contrite spirit. That's who he saves. And the word contrite, let's take a look. Define contrite. Feeling or expressing remorse or penitence affected by guilt. A broken and contrite heart. Remorseful, repentant, penitent, regretful, and sorry. That's who God saves. Those of us who feel unworthy. However, that's the end of the story. While we examine ourselves, while we walk, while we improve, while we seek the Lord, while we grow closer to Him, while we reside in the secret place of the Most High, while we fall in love with Jesus, we're not perfect ever, 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 but, and we're still contrite, we definitely don't feel worthy, but we take joy because we know that Jesus loves us and understands we're imperfect. He loves our soul. We are in his hands. We are in the Father's hands. We have the seal of God on us, and we are blessed. And even while those black walls are closing in on us, and you're looking at your life and thinking, I have never done anything for the Lord, and boy, oh boy, I sure would like to turn that around. Guess what? You can And every little effort will be measured by God with the greatest of glee. The angels in heaven will rejoice, and your eternity will take on a whole new level of glory. But I don't know how to then give. Give. 
You know how many people I know that are sitting on a million-dollar 401k and are never going to get to use a penny of it? Give. Give. Pray. Give. Pray. Give. Pray. Give of yourself. Put yourself last. Wash people's feet. Pray for the lost and love. Really love. Because as it says very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that we can speak in tongues from the baptism of the Holy Spirit we can have the gift of prophecy and prophesy and actually prophesy from the Lord. He will use you. We can understand all mysteries in our pre-existence and incarnation and all the incredible things about the universe and the kingdom of God and, and covenant companions. We could have enough faith to move many Mount Everest's. But if we don't do it out of love, we are nothing. We can sell our house, our car. We can hand all of it out. You know that I told you about the pastor that went, died and went to heaven and he came back because he realized he, you know, he was just going to be living in a small apartment because he never seed it out of his collection plate. Remember that? I sure hope when he came back to the earth that he didn't leave the church, sell his house because he wanted a bigger mansion in heaven. Because guess what? I'm going to give you the rest of the story. 1 Corinthians 13.3 And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned. I love you, Jesus. Burn me at the stake. I have all faith. But you do all these things not out of love. From your heart. From your heart. Paul explains. It profits you nothing. You will not receive a single reward in heaven for doing all those things. This is why I beg everyone all the time, the first, the first thing you need to do is fall in love with our Father. And that requires prayer. I prayed for two years before I fell in love with our Father. And I'm still working on my intimacy with Jesus. Even though Sherry Welsh explained to me that that ecstasy experience that she had when she walked inside of him is also something that you can experience as a man. Because we, there is neither man nor woman, Jew or Gentile, we're all one. 
in the body. She said, it's hard to accept this, I admit. I do admit. But she said, Jesus isn't really just a man. You're thinking of, of him as, you know, like a human man. And she's like, that's not Jesus. He's God. But the minor gods, like us, are male and female. That's how God created all the civilizations in the universe. But remember, never forget, you've got to fall in love with our Father. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. That is an obsession. It's like, I've used this um, analogy before, it's like when you were, you know, like 12 or 13 years old, and you had your first girlfriend or boyfriend, and if, and if you're as old as I am, uh, you were probably sitting there at 10 o'clock at night in your bedroom with, uh, with one of those black rotary telephones that everybody had on your chest. And remember how, like, when somebody in the other room would pick up the phone, you'd all be talking together, you know, like a party line? And I used to sit there with my, um, at the time, my girlfriend, and I was, like, so head over heels in love with her. Married her later. <laughs> she, I'm not going to get into that mess. But anyway, um, for all the wrong reasons, I you know, I never married because God told me to marry the individual. Hardly anybody does. But anyway, um, or we think that that's what God said, but it wasn't, you know, but whatever. So, but imagine being in that place, you know, where you're, you know, a teenager, puppy love. It's, it's an obsession, you know, and you're sitting on the phone with that individual and you're literally, you don't want to hang up. Because you feel a connection with them. You're not really having a conversation. You're just essentially breathing in the phone to one another because you can't think of anything to talk about, but you don't want to hang up with the phone. You want to buy that person a gift without them telling you to buy it. And you want to read their mind, and you want it to be the right color. You want it to be all those things, and you want to surprise them. It's an obsession. And that's how we're supposed to feel about our Heavenly Father, our Lord Jesus, our first love. Sing to him. I don't care what song you pick. Sing old MacDonald to him. He'll probably be he'll probably be laughing. But develop an intimate relationship with him. Tell him I'm having a problem with this. this I feel this, or I feel that, or whatever. I don't think it's right. I, I'm having a problem with it. Help me. Help me. But please don't expect it to happen instantly. It's always going to happen just like Abraham, Isaac, and the knife in the air. That God will test you always. Praise Him. And you thank him every day for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks for answering that prayer. And be a persistent widow, Luke 18. And keep on asking, keep on knocking, keep on reverently. I'm sorry, keep on knocking, keep on, you know what I mean. I, you keep at it. 
and you keep on praising him because you know he's going to answer it. And he is, and he will. I'm living proof of it, but I haven't arrived. I'm not perfect. I don't think I'll ever, I know I'll never be perfect. But I also know I'm not going to show up with one talent. And neither should you. We have a lot to look forward to, and we have been blessed with understanding things that you cannot possibly learn. Matter of fact, dare I say, anywhere else in the world? And I don't say that pridefully, believe you me. And every ounce of pride, if I ever had any, and I'm sure I did when I was younger, um, particularly since I started the radio show, has been literally beaten out of me. If I had a dollar for every time I shook my fist at God and said, I don't want to do the radio show anymore. <laughs> okay. But he who puts his hands to the plow and looks back is unfit for the kingdom of God. To whom much has been given, much will be required. And to whom much was committed, they will ask all the more. I want to know who they are, and I want to have a conversation with them when I get home. Because <laughs> I got a bone to pick with them. But anyway, I'm just joking. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Anyway, on that note, I pray that this blessed you on many levels, because we're living in such a dark time that sharing these sharing these things that are experiential in my walk, sharing the scriptures and how they all weave together into an incredible, harmonious tapestry telling the same story, so deeply misunderstood by churchianity, and revealing mysteries and things that should excite us. You know, when I told my sister Paula, I said, Paula, what do you, what, what? there's life and death in the power of the tongue. Why would you ever say that you're not worthy to be part of the bride of Jesus? Who's worthy? Just because they're, you know, all bubbly on, on, you know, when they're standing at the podium or they're all bubbly because they're on some radio show and they're going like, brothers and sisters, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, blah, 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 blah. You know what? Let me tell you something. I've done over 7,000 radio shows. And when you step away from that microphone, guess what you get to do? Grapes. You're right back into the cesspool. And we have to learn to overcome it. We have to recognize how blessed we are, especially today. Especially today. And you might say, oh, I'm looking for my calling. Don't do that. Your calling is inside the Holy Bible. Your calling was described tonight on the show. It's all of our callings. Your calling is not to march on the Capitol. Your calling is not even to be an American Christian. Your calling is not to be a Namibian Christian. Your calling is not to be a Russian Christian. God doesn't see boundaries. 
and the number one mistake of the American church is to think they're somehow blessed because of one verse out of 31,102 that says that those who bless Israel will be blessed by God. There are actually gazillion, I don't even know what the number is. It's probably in the high 90 percentile of evangelical churches that actually believe because of that one verse that the American church is blessed when in reality it's two of the most judged countries in the entire world out of 195 major countries. Most judged is the United States of Babylon the Great and Israel because God would rather them to be either hot or cold but because they are lukewarm he shall vomit them out of his mouth and since we're citizens of heaven just like Jesus said to Pontius Pilate my kingdom is not from here well, neither is ours. Praise his holy name. All right. Since a lot of people don't understand uh, or don't remember things, whatever, let's go ahead and do a little bit of spiritual warfare prayer for our protection. Maybe you can re- Maybe you can write some of this down and it will benefit you. And then we'll have communion. Praise God. Father, in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus, on behalf of every single listener of this program, I declare in Jesus' name that any entity of the darkness, worker of Satan, live or dead human spirit, member of a witch coven, anything that cannot call Jesus Christ its Lord and Savior, that at the very moment that it sets its will against any of these people, at the very moment that these entities set their wills against any of these people, that they shall be immediately struck by the holy fire of God, that it will launch down from the glory pillar in the throne room and burn them in the screaming agony, making a public spectacle of them in accordance with Colossians 2.15 in Jesus' name. I declare in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ a platoon of warrior angels to be assigned to all of the people that are listening, that are participating in this prayer vigil, to them and their loved ones, to ferret out all indirect attacks against them, to make good eyes blind, good ears deaf, in Jesus' name, to protect their jobs, to shut down those, uh, to shut down any demonic contracts, any demonic agreements, to wipe out and vaporize with the fire of God, earthly or spiritual weapons and fiery darts, and any of the entities that were involved in launching those things against any of these people. In Jesus' name, I declare the fire of God to strike them down. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And I declare warrior angels to descend upon them, strike them deaf, blind, and dumb, place them under arrest, and cast them into the pit. I declare the fire of God to weld the pit shut. Hallelujah. I plead the blood of Jesus to seal the pit. For only the Lamb of God can break the seals. Lord Jesus, with your authority and by your name, We want these demons locked up in Jesus' name so that they understand by being made a public example in the spiritual realm that it's a grave error to attempt it a second time. 
Father, we declare that the holy fire of God will swirl around our dwelling places amidst a whirlwind of the Holy Spirit to blow it white hot and a thorny hedge of protection to protect us on all sides in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus and follow us wherever we go. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name we pray and we thank you, Father God. Amen. Now communion. This is how I do it in the morning. I close my eyes and I look and I stare right into Jesus' face and he looks and he says to me, On the day in which I was betrayed, I took bread and I broke it and gave thanks and said, Here, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And John, and all of you out there, in that same manner I took the cup after supper, saying, This cup represents the new covenant, the new covenant, the new eternal contract in my blood. This do as often, as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim my death until I come. Check your watch. God bless you all. See you next Friday, Lord willing. Lord, we come to you with repentant hearts. We seek you with all our might. Sinners set the mercy of grace. Redeemed we are by all embrace. Praise his holy name. Praise the King of Kings. When will your coming be? When will your trumpet sound for me? For you we will endure Until you come back for your bride To set her free Write our names in your book of life We are cleansed through your holy sacrifice As we lift your name on high Renew our mind, renew our soul Remove the scars from our past And deem us righteous We rebuke all deceptive lies When will your coming be? When will your trumpet sound for me? Till then we will endure We are the branches on a living tree When will your coming be? When will your trumpet sound for me?
Till then we will endure Until you come back for your bride To set her free Watch us as we trim our wicks Our lamps are full Our hearts are right Like those five wise virgins we will be your bride awaits thee patiently. Longing for that blessed sound, the dead will rise. The churches gather, we're praying that we're worthy. When will your coming be? When will your trumpet sound for me? We will endure, and while we wait, we will bring forth the fruit of the light of Christ. When will your coming be? When will your trumpet sound for me? Till then we will endure Until you come back for your bride To set us free